On Monday, Lincoln Riley confirmed Bob Diaco is the latest addition to the OU coaching staff. As a defensive analyst for Oklahoma, Diaco can't coach the players, can't coach on the field during games. He can't leave campus and go recruit for OU. Basically, he's an extra defensive mind in the coach's office, a guy to bounce ideas off of and provide information that otherwise would not be available. Diaco is technically considered one of the best assistant coaches in college football. He won the Broyles Award, given to the nation's best assistant in 2012 when he was Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. Three years later, of course, Lincoln Riley won that very same award in his first year at Oklahoma. But you may have noticed a moment ago I said Diaco is technically considered one of the best assistant coaches in football. Well, there's a reason for that, and it's because Diaco is one year removed from his worst season as an assistant coach. Diaco took over as the Nebraska defensive coordinator last fall, and after just one year in Lincoln, he was out of a job. Sure, a lot of that had to do with Mike Riley getting fired. When head coaches get the ax, so do their assistants. But the Huskers' defense was downright atrocious in 2017, even worse than Oklahoma's defense. We'll have some numbers backing that up later in the podcast. In Diaco's defense, perhaps the struggles at Nebraska were mostly because 2017 was the first year the Huskers moved away from the 4-3 to Diaco's 3-4 scheme. It's possible that if given another season in Lincoln, Nebraska's defense may have significantly improved. We'll never know. Diaco's best years as an assistant coach came from 2010 to 2013 when, when he was at Notre Dame. Since then, Diaco's been a head coach at UConn for three years and a DC at Nebraska for one, with little success. My initial thoughts on OU hiring Bob Diaco were, shall we say, not great. You won't be able to find one Nebraska fan who liked the guy. That according to somebody I know who's close with a lot of Nebraska fans. But now as time has progressed and I've thought more about the situation, I'm feeling a lot more positive about Diaco being a part of the OU staff. After all, he's a 3-4 coach. We all know the Sooners need more guidance on the 3-4 if that's what Mike Stoops wants to continue implementing. And also, when Diaco has coached teams with a lot of talent, like all those Notre Dame teams, his defense worked pretty well. When he was at UConn and Nebraska and even Cincinnati for a year, schools with less talent, the defenses weren't all that great. Obviously, OU's talent is at an elite level for college football, and it's only going to get better moving forward with the way the recruiting has gone since Lincoln Riley has taken over as the head coach. Hopefully, the past four seasons have humbled Diaco a bit, and now as he joins Lincoln Riley's staff, Hopefully his presence will go a long way in shoring up whatever the hell OU is trying to do on defense these days. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Big third down. Mayfield's got to go wide open. It's Shepard. Sterling Shepard. He dives in. Did he get to the end zone? Or did he step out of bounds? He's in. Touchdown. Watch this ballet move. One foot down, two feet down, lean in, touchdown. 18 yards. Sterling Shepard and a Sterling performance on that sideline. Sterling Shepard welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. His 18-yard touchdown catch proved to be the difference in Oklahoma's 31-24 come-from-behind overtime win over Tennessee back in 2015. Shepard was awesome in that game. The numbers weren't all that flashy for him in that one. Seven catches, 74 yards, and two touchdowns. But all of his catches came at big times, it seemed, including, of course, both of his touchdown grabs. 
Shepard caps off our March West of Ever shows as we showcased former Sooners who had wore the number three here in the third month of the year. Hi, everyone. Again, I am Lee Benson. Grant will join us here in a moment. Oklahoma back from spring break, so spring practiced back and continuing. We'll talk more about the official hire of Bob Diaco and what that means for the Sooners moving forward. Plus, what's going on with the OU basketball team? That roster going to look incredibly different next season. We'll get to all of that in a bit, but first, it's your weekly reminder that we are on Facebook. If you're on Facebook as well, please locate the West of Everest podcast page and give us a like. We'd really appreciate that. Also, thanks to you all who watched the opening take on Facebook Live. Also, if you're listening to the show on iTunes, feel free to give us a rating on the show, or a show rating, rather. And if you really enjoy listening, please go ahead and leave us a review. Take a moment. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what we need to improve. Why not? Also, as you all know, you can email us, westoveverest at gmail.com. And also, finally, you can follow Grant and I's hot takes, so many of them, on Twitter. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. So with all that, let's bring in Grant for the first time today, who spent last weekend a long weekend in Las Vegas, where he watched a lot of college basketball, from what I understand. Grant, how was the trip? It was exhaustingly. I'm very tired. Uh, it's just uh, even it's, uh, even on this day on uh, on a Tuesday as we record this. You're yes, still tired? I am. I, I'm still jet lagged, still trying to get caught up on sleep. I maybe got six hours of sleep total the entire trip. It was uh, you know, it's Vegas. It's hard to sleep there. So uh, but it, it comes highly recommended, though. I would certainly try to get up there uh, for one of the rounds of March Madness if you can, or at least one of the two weekends, uh, not final four weekend, not enough games going on. But um, it, it's a lot of fun to go up there. The sports books are always kind of hopping. The, the atmosphere there is a lot of fun. And and there were some there were there kind of some backdoor covers this this weekend, Lee, that really pissed off a lot of gamblers in Vegas. So that was that was kind of fun to uh, be a part of. And at the same time, not very fun because I was also a uh, I also fell victim to those backdoor covers as well so oh well so here's the thing yeah you were texting me a lot about certain college basketball games about the way certain games ended and of course you're in Las Vegas so you could easily go down and put some money on any game because that's what you can do in Vegas uh, it's, it's easy to do and, and I've done it before too and I've been there and uh, you know one of the main stories big stories that not a lot of people are talking about in sports right now is that the Supreme Court is going to rule on this case that involves New Jersey and the NCAA. And long story short, there's a thought that the Supreme Court could come back and maybe make it to where sports betting has a path to legalization in America to where it's not just legal in Las Vegas. You can do it anywhere. So it'd be nice that, uh, you know, for those who enjoy that, to be able to potentially not have to go to Las Vegas like you did this weekend and uh, put money down so that's that could that could come down as early as next month maybe even next week so i'll be looking out for that however you did go to vegas so you got a chance to partake and from what i understand you had a successful weekend would you like to give us details on that oh i mean i'm not going to go into too much detail but i i I left town a winner which is which is pretty uh pretty rare if you've ever been to vegas so i'm always going to be uh going to be happy when i when I don't leave uh, with my with my life savings loss, so so that's a good thing. Um, I was, for the most part, was was about five hundred sports gambling. I, I had some other luck in, in other parts of the casino, but um, you know I, I'm still still really upset about that backdoor Clemson cover against Kansas. Uh, even even more so upset about the uh, the the Florida State Michigan debacle, which I was also a victim of. Uh, but 
other than that, you know, a, a, a fairly fun weekend. I, I, I made a terrible, terrible bet at the last second. I changed my my bet uh, to Kansas State from Loyola, which was idiotic. That Loyola beating Kansas State was the most obvious result of the tournament. Um, I can't believe I I changed my bet on that. I'm still a little salty about that, but no one to be upset about but myself on that one, Lee. I don't think that's uh, it. Wasn't obvious at all. I mean, I was texting you. I said, "Hey, if I was in Vegas, I would have definitely gone in on Kansas State because." It just Kansas State's defense was better than anything that Loyal had seen. It's just what happened was is the downside is that Kansas State just can't score. Kansas yeah, State cannot I'd... score the basketball. And Loyola's offense, I thought, was going to be slowed down by Kansas State's real defense. Well, apparently it, it, it wasn't. And you know what? We'll get to football here in one second. This sounds kind of crazy. Maybe not. Maybe not, not that crazy. I think Loyola has a legitimate chance to win the national championship. And that's even with Villanova and Kansas on the other side of the bracket. They're so good at everything out of absolutely nowhere. And there's really not a whole lot of holes. And obviously Villanova is probably the best team still alive right now. And they're probably going to be if they play each other somehow, if they get by Michigan, it would be a, a big time underdog situation. But can you can you tell me? I mean, look, Villanova was awful against Texas Tech and still found a way to win. Can I could definitely see Loyola's defense slowing down Villanova similar to that. And Loyola's offense at this point is playing a lot better than anybody else's offense a lot in college basketball I don't think it's crazy to think that they might win it all I don't I don't know if it's crazy I I'm gonna tell you they're not gonna win it all I'm there they I, I just they're not gonna beat Villanova if they play Villanova um yeah. loyal is only chance I think is is if is if Kansas can somehow beat Villanova Villanova's playing on a different level right now they didn't even they played poorly against Texas Tech and they still won by double digits um, well, it's because Texas Tech played even worse. So I, no, that's, it's not. It, Villanova's defense was amazing. Did you see what they did? They just they just put Mikael Bridges on Keenan Evans. Did the you see how many game. layups Texas Tech missed that game? I think um, they missed at least ten layups in that game. I don't recall. It was. Just, it was I don't recall Texas Tech Texas Tech ever having an open layup. Everything they had was contested. Uh, they, they missed. They missed so many bunnies in that game. And it Villanova was, didn't. It was very. Vill- hard Villanova to missed at least ten wide open threes. Um, I, I just the difference between a bunny and a wide open three. That's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm, like Villanova I'm, had a bad shooting day. I, I'm just telling you. I, 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 we seem to have a lot of these disagreements. I have no idea what game you were watching. Texas Tech had no bunnies at all in that game. I, I have I no idea what you were watching. They missed so many layups. They missed so many close range shots. It was ridiculous. I saw Keenan anyway. Evans get absolutely harassed by Mikel Bridges around the the rim because Mikel Bridges may be the best defender in the country. But I mean, that's that's what I saw. They Villanova was smart. Keenan Evans is there is literally their entire offense. He kind of stirs the drink, and they put the best defender in the country on him. Uh, I, I mean, Texas Tech didn't really have much of a shot after that. So you know, I, I I'm I'm massively impressed by Villanova. I just I don't really see how there's any way they don't win the championship. But you know, there's you know anything can happen. Um, I, I think I, I think Michigan is 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 a decent matchup for uh, for Loyola. However, I I can definitely see some. Um, some potential matchup problems that that Michigan could face, mostly mostly with with Mo Wagner bringing the the, the big guy, uh, Loyal's big guy, Krakow or whatever his name is, um, bringing him out to the perimeter. That's just a total mismatch. So it, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I mean, I, I think Loyal is a very good team. They're I mean, clearly a better basketball team than Kansas State. That's why I was so upset that I um, that I picked Kansas State because Loyola was was clearly a much better team. 
All right, no one listens to this podcast to hear us talk about random college basketball, so I'll, I'll move on. But real quick, I just Googled this literally as you were talking, and I found a headline that says, Texas Tech has missed a crazy amount of layups, and this was two days ago. They missed 15 layups in the game, Grant. What game are you watching? Okay, so you're telling me that they just had 15 bunnies that they missed, and it had nothing to do with Villanova playing spectacular defense. They didn't... They, Texas Tech had no, had no room to breathe basketball. the entire game. No room to breathe the entire game. According uh, to this article I'm reading, the official number of layups missed by Texas Tech with about six minutes to play is ridiculous. It's more than 10, but less than 20. The official number, 15. Texas Tech is 6 for 21 on layups right now, which is absurd. And they have a tweet in here by Jason Whitlock. says, how many point-blank layups has Texas Tech missed? Half a dozen? Yeah, they missed a bunch of layups in that game. Villanova missed a lot of open shots. Texas Tech missed a lot of bunnies. I don't know what game you were watching. I, I don't know. Villanova played spectacular defense in that game. I, I don't. They not once in that article does it say how many open layups they missed. I'm not going to. They're take, layups. I, I'm sorry. They're layups. I'm, 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 when you're a Division One basketball player, you make layups. No, lay, layups can be contested as well. This is this is ridiculous. I mean, don't you you've you've literally told me nothing on that article. <laughs> That can be that, that can be interpreted numerous ways. That can they went six of twenty one from in, from two pointers. That that just tells me that Villanova played awesome no, defense. Layups, like literally layups, is what it said. Okay, well I'll go back and rewatch that game because I got it on my DVR and I'll count all the the layups they missed just so we have a full number. All right, let's get let's get to let's get to football. There's some breaking news here too, by the way, on West of Everest, Oklahoma has announced its spring game festivities. And remember, Lincoln Riley wants eighty thousand people at the Sooner spring game. The question, though, has been all this time, whenever he first said that, it, you know, the question is like, how, how on earth is Oklahoma going to be able to get that many people interested in football in April? Well, the answer to that question seems to be food trucks, Bob Stoops and Trace Adkins. That's right. Trace Adkins will be performing inside Memorial Stadium before the spring game on April the 14th, which, you know, that's not bad. You got a concert before the game and, and it's it's a legitimate country music star. Uh, what do you think about this news, Grant? Um, I, I figured it would it would be some concert of some sort. Uh, I think if you're going to get eighty thousand people there, it's not going to be Trace Adkins that's going to bring them there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm all I'm all for them trying whatever they can. Honestly, I, I I think I think Lincoln Riley coming out saying that he wants eighty thousand people there is going to get eighty thousand people there. I think that was always going to be the case. Um, it obviously helps that they're. It looks like they're going to try to create some sort of atmosphere, actually make it a fun thing. Um, but but really, I for me, if personally, if it was if it was the like the before the game entertainment that that was me, whether or not I was deciding on going to the spring game, Trace Atkins certainly would not put me over the hump on that. Um, I I think this is one of those things where if you're a Sooner fan and you live in Oklahoma, you just need to you just need to take the bullet and go. This is for recruiting. Just go. The thing is, though, there's I'm the same way. I'm not particularly a big Trace Atkins fan, and I don't listen to country music as much as I used to. But I know he's a big time guy. Like, I mean, they announced the concert, and I think, oh, I know who Trace Adkins is. I've heard of him. I think wasn't he on <laughs> this? Not that this is that big of a deal, but wasn't he on Celebrity Apprentice? I think. I have absolutely ago? no idea. Okay, well then, never mind then. You know, so, point being is that even though you and I are not the the target audience for this sort of concert, maybe a lot of Sooners fans that wouldn't otherwise be interested in April football are big Trace Adkins fans. So, I think this certainly will get more people out than a normal spring event and this is Lincoln Riley mainly focusing on recruiting as you said over and over again and he wants this to be a memorable day for all the potential Sooners that 
could end up signing and think, hey, it's April, but hey, this is still pretty fun. I mean, they're going to have tailgating beforehand. They're going to have food trucks. They're going to, let's see if I, I don't want to bungle this, but they're going to put up the Bob Stoops statue, I believe. Yeah, at 10 o'clock, a Bob Stoops recognition and statue dedication will take place on the lawn directly south of the Switzer Center. So Bob Stoops will be able to see a statue for the first time. So that's quite the big deal. So who knows? I mean, there's, a, there's enough things out here that might get more people out to the spring game that wouldn't normally show up, which is a good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. I think I think the thing that they needed to focus on was creating a fun atmosphere just to be in town. The, the game is not going to be that fun. And if if you've ever watched a spring game, they're nearly unwatchable. So I don't know how many I don't know how many listeners I just triggered there, but it's it's not good football. Um, so yeah, they're going to have to make a fun atmosphere, and you know, it's it, we'll see what happens. I, I'm I, I'm assuming they will they will probably hit their eighty thousand goal. I would guess. Wow, I. I hope so. I, I'm yeah, still. I, uh, I as, mean, that's a lot of people. I mean, as, that's like a full. As soon as Lincoln Riley came out and said we need eighty thousand people there, I they were going to get eighty thousand people there. Um, it's just it's it's a matter of how and when, and and I it's going to be more of an advertising thing, knowing that people need to be there for recruiting. I, that's that's going to move the needle a lot more than Trace Adkins will, um, because I I, I think if, if 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 you can pitch it to the fan base, hey, you're helping our program land some recruits. Um, this is this is how you can actually help us. You help us in the stadium during the season by being loud. You know, here's here's another opportunity for for you to help us. And also, it's going to be a nice weekend. It's not Masters weekend, which is a big deal. There's nothing going on. Um, hopefully, the weather is nice. There'll be food trucks. Um, they, they they need to make it a party atmosphere. To be honest with you, they need to make it as much like game day as humanly possible to make sure it's fun because that's why people are going to come out. So, um, like I said, if you're in Oklahoma um, and if you're if it's reasonable to drive there on a Saturday, uh, just bite the bullet and go. Uh, it's it, it's it'll help the program and and you could have a lot of fun as well. There is no way to measure this at all, so it's just basically my opinion. But I would guess that there are more people that would be enticed by a Trace Adkins concert. That would think, okay, let's go, as opposed to you telling Sooner fans, hey, you should come to this thing because it's good for recruiting. Because I would submit to you that a lot of people are like, eh, I care about the games on Saturdays, and that's what's fun about it. And like when you talk about recruiting, it's like I, that doesn't do much for me. That's you. That's just you. That's a you thing. Hardcore college football fans know how important recruiting is. Yeah, You're- but a lot of people that go to those games on Saturdays aren't necessarily hardcore college football fans. They're just going on Saturday because it's fun. To go to college football games, I'm sure. I'm sure, and I'm sure. I'm sure that's that's some of them. I'm I'm sure you're mostly. You're, I I mean, you've you've mostly just described the students right now. I think most people who have student tickets are are hardcore Sooner fans and and you know do care about recruiting because I think most hardcore football fans realize that that's the lifeblood of the program. So I don't know. I I, Lee, you you have some pretty outspoken opinions about recruiting. So you know, I don't. uh, There's a lot of people who do take that stuff pretty seriously. Yeah, there's a lot of people that take it seriously, but I also think it's it's uh it's somewhat niche as well. It and is. People it like is us are going to take it more seriously than others because we're kind of involved in it. But uh, I would submit to you that how many people get into OU football games these days now? How, what are they putting? Eighty five. Eighty five thousand. Eighty five thousand. I would I would bet a lot of money that more than half of those people you go talk to and they're like, yeah, I don't really care that much about recruiting. It, more people would want to go to a country music concert in Oklahoma on a random April afternoon, and then maybe hopefully stay for <laughs> the spring game, which, Hey, you know, Kyler Murray playing, you know, no Baker Mayfield for the first time. People will be intrigued by that. 
You may be right. Of course. So. You may be right. Uh, I mean, I. But there's I guess no way I'm, to measure it. I understand that. It's just that's a the difference yeah. of opinion. I guess. I, yeah. I don't know how to read other people's minds. I I only know what I know, and I I love OU football. I don't give I don't give two s words about Trace Atkins. So I. Ooh, I, you know what? And Sorry so to I'm, interrupt you. And no, and and that's not against anyone else. I mean, I'm sure his music is fine. I just that's just not my thing. It doesn't doesn't move the needle for me at all. So and I I, I can only go by my experience. So um, I, I just <laughs> I, I can't. I, I just can't imagine that's going to move the needle for a lot of people. I think it would definitely move the needle a lot more for non, non-students, more like a, older people that are maybe have listened to Trace Atkins you know, growing up and not necessarily the younger crowd or the millennial crowd, if you will. Uh, even though it's not like Trace Atkins is like an old-time country guy. I mean, he's still relatively mainstream. Uh, I just saw some, some one quick thing that might potentially derail the spring game for Oklahoma. Not derail. Derail is a very harsh word, but I'll maybe uh, make it to where it's, it's not as big as they'd hope. Apparently, the NBA playoffs start on April 14th. So if the Thunder is somehow playing on April 14th at home during the afternoon, that would not be good for the Oklahoma spring game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Just throwing that'd it be, out there. That'd be bad, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've, I, I think I've... I've uh, I've kind of confided in you. I find the state of Oklahoma's obsession with the Thunder slightly odd. Um, so uh, people so love the Thunder here. People yeah, absolutely it, love the I, I suppose it makes sense. It's the only. I mean, it's it's the only professional sports team in the in the state. But I guess yeah, we, we don't need to get too far in NBA. I guess I just I don't I don't understand how you can get so worked up about a team you know can't win a championship. So I don't really understand that. Well, there's <laughs> that's an incredibly loaded statement that you just made there. And we're not going to go into the details of why that's not necessarily true, because it would take too long. Well, yeah, because because then we'd have to go into how delusional some of the fans are and and yada yada yada. So whatever. Ooh, it just I'm just triggering everyone today. You really are. You it's really been a, are. You it's been a long Grant's, day. I was I was Grant's not in Oklahoma. I was so pissed that I had to go to work today, coming off of Las Vegas. So I'm just mad. I'm taking it out on everybody. What did you not go to work on Monday? No, of course you always take the day off. The oh. you get back from Vegas. I'm not a rookie. Are you kidding me? All right, so again, spring practice has started yet again. Spring break was last week for OU, so Oklahoma now back. We're roughly two and a half weeks until that spring game. Monday was the first spring practice in pads, so that's something, I suppose. I was uh, listening into Lincoln Riley talk. Not a whole lot of groundbreaking stuff. Uh, we'll go over some of the, the things he had to say about Bob Diaco in a moment, but some of the things that stood out to me during his availability on Monday – he was asked about if anybody stood out at all in spring ball, and, and he said, no, not really, not yet. Uh, he, he wasn't asked about any specific rule. The question wasn't about, like, oh, who stood out to you uh, on the defense or anything. He was just like, anybody stood out to you? He said, no, not yet. It's too early. So nothing there, nothing. He's not, he's not kind of uh, showing his hand there. Uh, he mentioned on defense that uh, the main thing that really excites him about the defense is that there's some young leadership. That's what really gets him going the most. And he was specifically asked about Carson Meyer, and he mentioned that Meyer and Hall are both in a good battle at H-back, which is kind of what we assume. So uh, he said, mentioned that Meyer, you could tell that Meyer really knows that he's got a shot to play a lot, and you can tell. So uh, those are the only tidbits really from Lincoln Riley that I found particularly interesting. Not sure if you heard Lincoln Riley's availability, Grant, uh, at all, did you? If I, not, we'll I didn't. Move on. I'll be honest with you. I've been I've been a little in the weeds the last couple of days, Lee. I got I mean I got back in Vegas yesterday. I was uh, I. Was, 
I was totally in and out of consciousness yesterday. I just didn't see a lot of news. No, that's fine. That's fine. Because there wasn't a whole lot coming out of uh, the first availability after spring break. So uh, that brings us to the big news that I we talked about at the very top with the opening take. Bob Diaco is confirmed by Lincoln Riley to be a defensive analyst for Oklahoma. I will open the floor up to you, Grant. What are your thoughts on Diaco? Because um, I gave mine. I know my my thoughts were kind of. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm more leaning towards the, the positive, the hopeful side, just because it's March and we don't really know a whole lot. But um, are your thoughts similar or do you have a different angle you want to come at this from? Yeah, I'm not. Um, so I I, it, I guess it's hard to gauge exactly where I am. And so he, so I, I don't think it's a bad hire. I'm not I'm not going to go. Out. We don't know enough yet. Um, we've already you know, it's already been confirmed. All he's really going to do is just is just be an extra pair of eyes, uh, maybe an extra voice in the room, which I think could could absolutely be a valuable you know part of this defense. Um, the thing that confer- the, the thing that concerns me the most about the hire um, is is not necessarily anything that has to do with Bob Diaco. It's just it, it, it tells me that they're doubling down on the three four. That's that's what that's what concerns me the most. Um, if you've if you've listened to me at all, you know the last six months or ever since we started this podcast, you know how much I hate the three four. Um, it's a it's it's the absolute perfect defense to have when you have uh, when you have a ton of perfect players to fit the defense and they're they're really hard to find. Um, there's a reason that there's a reason that only NFL teams run it and Alabama basically. So um, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm slightly concerned that this means that they are that they're going to stick with the three four. Uh, that's just it's it's a defense that just does not work in the Big Twelve. Uh, and and I'm and and the fact that they're gonna that it looks like they're gonna be so stubborn and, and just try to continue to implement it and try to tweak it it's just I, I um it's it's not it's not a good defense for this conference at, at all. So uh, yeah, we've uh, to to your point to back up your point. Uh, last season, you mentioned uh, in the opening take. I mentioned that he that Nebraska's defense was awful last year, and I mean it was even worse than Oklahoma's defense. Uh, season ago, I know you're a big S&P ranking guy, Grant, and so I took the liberty to look up the numbers from all of Bob Diaco's defenses, or all you know where he's been basically in the past eight years. And last year, Nebraska's S&P ranking on defense was 110th in college football, which Oklahoma's, I believe, was 101st. And as far as yards per play goes, which is another stat that you and I both really like when it comes to to offense and defense as far as uh, yards per play allowed last year nebraska averaged more than 6.3 yards per play which also was like a half a yard more than ou allowed so that nebraska defense there, there's a reason why nebraska fans are not sad that mike riley is out and not sad that bob diaco is out because nebraska was not good last year i believe finished four and eight and uh Obviously, now with Scott Frost coming in, there's just going to be so much excitement in Lincoln going from from whatever that was to now you got Scott Frost, who has just been on top of the college football world, seemingly at least for one year, if not more than that. So uh, those numbers are striking. And, I tr- you know, again, in his defense, maybe it was because Nebraska was moving from the 4-3, then to the 3-4, and they didn't have the players for it, and it just didn't work out for him last year. And who knows? It may- I can maybe- almost, I can almost certainly that I can almost certainly guarantee you that that was part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, who knows? Again, maybe if he was given another year, they would get better. Uh, who knows? I mean, I was looking back. If we want to do this for every one of his teams, at Notre Dame, 
the defenses that he was in charge of were were all really good. I mean, you're an S&P guy, Grant. He had three defenses in the top 11 in the S&P rankings for from 2010, 2011, 2012. Whole lot of NFL players on those defenses, though. Um, I, I, I told this to you, Lee, before we got on. I just went back and looked because I, I was just curious. Uh, that, that 2012 Notre Dame team, that was a team that lost to Alabama in the national championship game. Lost is not really a fair word there. They got absolutely humiliated by Alabama in the national championship game. That, te- or that, that, team, Lee, that, that team had eight guys who got drafted who played that night on defense. Um, that's in, including, like I said, one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL right now, Stephon Tuitt. At the time, uh, a big-time NFL draft prospect as their nose tackle in Lewis Nix. Um, and of course, they had they had Manti Te'o at uh, at middle linebacker, who was who was the best defense uh, defensive player in all of college football that year. Also had Matthias Farley, who is a, who is a starting safety in the league as well. He was on that team. Just just a lot of NFL players on that defense, mm-hmm. and they had they, they had the personnel and the size uh, to run a three four, which the Sooners don't really have. Uh, you know on their roster right now. So um, I, I think Bob Diaco has proven at least in, in terms of numbers, if, if, if you give him talent, he, he can, he can create a, uh, an effective defense, but I, I just, there's, there's just so much hin- just hinging, uh, you know, on the three, four going right in terms of personnel, you need, uh, you need, you need a nose tackle who, who pretty much goes at least three thirty um, and can take up two, two blockers. Oh, doesn't have a single person on their roster who can do that. Um, your two defensive ends generally need to be the size of, uh, the two defensive tackles and a four, three. OU does have guys like that, but they're defensive tackles, not defensive ends. Um, it, it, they just, it, they just don't have the size to, um, to, to handle up front in a three, four and also on the edge with their linebackers. They, they don't have any size. And, and so typically, typically in the three, four, your, your, your outside linebackers are the size of a normal defensive end. So they, they just, they don't have the size to hold up on the edge in the three, four, um, against bigger teams like like you saw against Georgia and then in the Big 12 uh there's there's just too many receivers to be to, to put an extra linebacker on the field it's just it's nonsensical um so last year we had touched on we, we touched on this a little bit last week that you know Caleb Kelly was a, was a huge liability in coverage this past season playing on the strong side because in in the Big 12 it, it's almost it, it's useless to have a strong side linebacker in the Big 12 you might as well just make him a nickelback and and this is this is stuff I'm starting to read and starting to figure out and and realizing just just how much um, this past season OU really and Mike Stoops and his defense really was trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole this year and it's it's slightly frustrating the more that I look into it. So I've seen I think I saw at least one headline, and this might have been uh, you know and maybe this is more more than just one outlet or two or maybe I just made this up off the top of my head but um I since Diaco's a former defensive coordinator he's been a head coach at UConn he has won the Burrells award and he comes in as a defensive analyst is this somebody that we should be thinking oh is this guy going to take over for Mike Stoops someday I mean is this like a Mike Stoops successor and I'll be honest with you and I'll let you answer obviously too but I hadn't even thought that at all like not one second did after Diaco came in I think oh this this guy could be the next defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Maybe I'm, maybe that's me not thinking straight. Maybe I should have thought that at some point. I don't know. What do you think about that? Did you ever think, oh, maybe this could be the next defensive coordinator whenever Mike Stoops, whenever he's not here anymore, whenever that may be? Sure, sure. Um, but then you know my my brain continues to go, and like I'm gonna harp on it again. Just how much I hate this 
hate this scheme. Um, it tells me if, if, if Mike Stoops is going to be relieved at the end of the season and Bob Diaco is going to take over, that, that would tell us that the Sooners didn't have a good, de- a good year on defense, right? And so you're just going to, you're going to rehire, you're going to hire someone like Bob Diaco and just, and don't, and triple down on the three, four, you know, I, I guess, yeah, it, I, it's so hard for me to, I, I guess to get kind of like a nuanced look at this just because I, I hate the scheme so much and, and <laughs> yeah, I'm, and, and, and like, I, I just, I, I, this may be unfair, but I, the scheme—it's—it just—it will not work. It, it's impossible if if they insist on playing a three-four with four legit linebackers in the Big Twelve, they are going to have one of the worst defenses in college football again. Um, and so I—it's—I—I'm—I'm I, I'm really starting to get concerned. Uh, it's just the the three-four is just is not what this team needs to be running. Um, and I'm. They just don't have the personnel for it, and it's just it's stupid in this conference. It just it doesn't work. Well, I'm not as pessimistic as you because it, last year is really the first. Well, I was going to say something. No, I guess it wasn't the first year because they were going to they were supposedly going to go back to the four three last year, and that didn't happen. They didn't. Mike Stoops uh, came out and said that was a smokescreen for the Ohio State game. Like I mean, it's, yeah. it's which was ridiculous. Um, and you no, know, they they've been running the three four at least since 2013. So I mean, they've been running it for five seasons now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and 2013 was the was the best season they've had in the three four because they had the mo- they, they they had personnel that aligned with the three four the best. If you remember I that 2015 season, was the best year they had. Uh, that was the best and, defensive season I thought. Mm, I think yeah per S and P it was. Um, they went to the when they went to the playoff. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that helped that year. The, their edge they had striker Devonte Bond was a really underrated player that year setting the edge. Um, and also, uh, Charles Tapper was a really, really underrated player. Who was he? He is he's uh, he's the correct size for a three-four defensive end. Um, and the same for Charles Walker as well, who had a really good season that year. They were two uh, properly sized defensive ends who were able to set the edge in the three-four. Um, if you recall back to 2013, that was the first year I brought that up. That was the year Jordan Jordan Phillips was their nose tackle. Um, if you know anything about the three-four, the nose tackle basically can single-handedly shut down a run game by himself in, in that scheme um and so you know in fact in fact i think jordan phillips is probably the primary reason why they did move to a 3-4 in 2013 um and so you know i they just they, they just don't have guys like that anymore and they it, it doesn't seem like they're necessarily recruiting to that um michael thompson is a recruit this year who who would maybe work out as a as a nose tackle in a 3-4 but he's a true freshman you can never expect him to get on the field that early um yeah, it's interesting for sure. You know, I, I just I, I really feel like they're they're just insisting on doing this when I think we have we, we have two consecutive years now where they they don't have the bodies to plug in where they need to, and and they've had two straight years of poor results now, and, and so I, I don't they they got a bunch of four three defensive linemen trying to play a three four. Uh, I just it no wonder it doesn't work. So it certainly is fair to point out that the results have not been good on the field. So there's really no debating that. And it's just one of those things where it seems like they continue to try to just get it right. And I think it's, again, I think it's fair that you're pointing out that the results have, have been less than ideal. Also, too, also we should just reiterate that Bob Diaco is a defensive analyst. So therefore, he's not allowed to do a whole lot really anything with the players the team it's just he's going to be in those coaches meetings he will be an extra person there in there to to provide insight thoughts and hopefully shore up the 3-4 defense so in theory he 
uh, he'll he could have a pretty big effect on this team or he may not and just I was just kind of looking up okay defensive analyst you know that's kind of a relatively new thing in college football do you know Steve Sarkeesian was a defensive analyst for Alabama before he got promoted to the offensive coordinator whenever they got rid of Lane Kiffin randomly before the the national championship game so a guy like Sarkeesian was who's now in the NFL with the, the Falcons I mean sometimes there's a big time dudes that end up taking defensive or not defensive just analyst type jobs and in a way it's almost like so they can they can be employed and be around in that scenario I'm sure Sarkeesian it was nice for him to be around Nick Saban learn whatever he could learn from Nick Saban and then get that experience and then now all of a sudden like that he's in the NFL I'm not saying that Bob Diaco is as a future NFL defensive coordinator or anything like that what I'm saying is that you know who knows how much Steve Steve Sarkeesian affected Alabama's offense that year I mean there's no way to really quantify it but he's a he's a real coach he's a real guy that was there so uh, that's kind of what I look at Diaco was doing he's a guy that he's had tons of experience as a assistant coach and as a head coach he's probably thinking you know what it didn't go well at Nebraska Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma is up and coming right now I'd like to to go and see how they run their program and hopefully he can improve and get better and help out the defense I mean that's the the crimson colored glasses way of looking at it but at this point that's why I choose to to look at this situation <laughs> yeah you know I, I'm, I'm fine with it you know what if if right now if they had if, if the Sooners had the you know the level of players that Bob Diaco had at Notre Dame in 2012 on their roster I'd be freaking pumped about this hire um, but they don't and I'm being as candid as humanly possible I don't think we know I just don't think we know because I just don't think that a lot of the players have been put in good positions. I mean, we Oklahoma might have a lot of really talented defensive players. We just don't know yet. Well, maybe I, that's uh, naive of me to think, and maybe that's ignorant and stupid. I don't know. I, to me, it, it, I mean, I think Caleb Kelly is incredibly talented, and he didn't really do a whole lot last year. And it's because he well, he yeah, was injured. That's, that he was injured, but that that's also a good that's a good example of not he, he's not being put in a very good position to succeed there. He's being he's being thrown to the freaking wolves in the Big Twelve playing playing Sam linebacker and people realize right that as a Sam linebacker in the 3-4 he's being tasked with with uh with covering one-on-one guys in the slot so that's like little you know 5'10 170 pound slot receivers and also tight ends like Mark Andrews I think Caleb Kelly can do that I mean it's it's nonsensical it's stupid and that's I mean that's that's why you saw the Sooners get ripped up over the middle of the field so many times this year um, so I, I think it's, it, it's going to be pretty easy on to see, uh, early on in the season, what, what they did. Um, you know, uh, Florida Atlantic is a team that, that runs the spread. They run, they run an offense like a lot, uh, teams in the big 12 run, or at least, at least concepts of it. If the Sooners come out onto the field and on the very first game of the year, and they have a Sam linebacker on the field and it's not Ryan Jones, then you, you have a pretty good idea of, of, of where they're going and, and what they're trying to do. Um, if, 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 if they put a Sam linebacker on the field for that first game, that is not like a nickel safety hybrid. They haven't learned a, a thing. I teased uh, a bit ago that Lincoln Riley had some things to say about Bob Diaco, and, and I'll go over some of them right now. Uh, he used the term big picture guy twice during his availability. So I'm not really quite sure what that means by big picture guy, but it's a term that Lincoln Riley used to describe Bob Diaco twice the other day. Uh, he also mentioned that uh, Diaco's always had a great reputation as a coach and a man in this business. That's what Lincoln Riley said. Um, he said he didn't know much about Diaco when he was at Notre Dame, but then he learned more about Bob Diaco whenever 
uh, this is Riley, by the way, when Riley was at East Carolina and Diaka was at UConn. So he kind of learned more about him there. And he, Riley said that he respected what Diaka was doing defensively. And he also added that he thinks this is a perfect match for Oklahoma and Diaco. Um, okay, that's it. Yeah, I just was making sure I, that's all my notes. So th- that's uh, Lincoln Riley's thoughts. And, I mean, of course, what's he going to say? Negative things? Of course not. He just made the hire. But um, the, big, the big thing to me was interesting was that he mentioned that he's a big-picture guy, and he said that twice. So I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, I suppose it might mean that, hey, this guy's an analyst, therefore – he might be somebody they can go to and say, hey, what are you seeing in these games? What are we missing? What's the big picture? <laughs> How can we get better? Maybe that's what he meant by it. Uh, do you have any thoughts on hearing some of those thoughts from Lincoln Riley? No, I mean, uh, he's he's always going to – he hired him, so he's he's obviously going to have some some flattering things to say about him. Hey, like, this is this is nothing – I, I don't. I, I think this hire, if if we're talking about just like on on name brand and on who they hired in terms of success, I think this is a really good hire. Bob Diaco is has coached some some elite defenses. He's been around some elite programs. You know, he's he's had some success in, in college football, and he, you know what? He's he's had success in college football more recently than than Mike Stoops has. Um, the you know all, all of the people you know poo poo and what he did at UConn and Nebraska. You know, I I. I I understand that Nebraska kind of interesting situations. Uh, Mike Riley's a terrible head football coach. Uh, I don't. Nobody would have would have been successful uh, coordinating his defense. I don't think. Um, and, and also UConn. I, I you know, I I, I guess I, I just don't know a whole lot about that. But I, I also I always take it with a grain of salt. Um, his uh, he's I I'm looking at him right now as a defensive coordinator, not as a head coach. There's there's been countless examples of guys who are spectacular coordinators and assistant coaches, and they just don't work out as the head guy. Um, I, I I gotta think that that's that's the same deal with Diaco and, until I hear otherwise. I think over this entire off season, and it sounds like you're already way ahead of me, but we should definitely make it a point to learn more about the three four defense and what each position's responsibilities are and whether or not this actually is a good fit or not for Oklahoma. I already have a couple articles that I'm planning on reading specifically about the three, four and Bob Diaco. And and just, I need to make sure that I get more knowledgeable when it comes to that specific scheme. And that way, once the season comes back around and in the fall, we'll be able to watch the games a little bit more intuitively and have even better thoughts than uh, than we otherwise would when it came to the three, four defense. How does that sound? That that sounds great. I'm just saying the the key to being successful um, in the Big 12, and and not only the Big 12, but as we progress in college football, as as the years get higher up there, I'm talking about in all of football too, because eventually everyone is going to be running this spread stuff from the Big 12. Eventually, everyone will be running it, even the NFL. Um, and and I think that we're we're really we're really uh, moving to the period right now where you just want to get as as little linebackers on the field as humanly possible. For instance, Texas's base defense this past year, Lee, and I and, and I still think. Texas and TCU both had the, had the best defense in the Big 12. Um, I, Texas ran ran a base dime, Lee. They ran a base 3-2-6. Um, so I, I think the future in this conference and, and really the future of, of defensive football is is going to be hybrid defensive backs who can tackle. And, and OU needs to start looking for those guys now. And I'm, I'm, I get a little worried because it, it, they kind of went after the same type of DBs they always go after, which are sort of kind of undersized uh, long defensive backs and not guys who are going to get up there and tackle uh, Buki withstanding. So uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. Well, that's the only football-related topic I had 
on the rundown today. We could easily talk about Baker Mayfield at every single show, but um, there's not really a whole lot of new news when it comes to Mayfield. And you know, once the draft gets closer and closer, we'll talk more about that. Any other football-related things that are on your mind? Or if not, we'll move on to quickly touch on OU basketball, having people transfer, and of course, uh, Trey Young gone and, and whatnot. Only just that we've already, you know, we've been talking about the NFL draft basically, you know, in, in perpetuity ever since the Super Bowl ended, which was two months ago already somehow. And still the draft is, is not for another month. I, I just, I don't even know how this is even possible, but um, we, we still got another month of draft talk left. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll skip that today, but I'm, I can promise our listeners there'll, there'll probably be more draft talk coming up. Oklahoma basketball, big news of the week. Jordan Shepard and Cam McGusty both transferring out of the program. My boss, sports director at News 9, Dean Blevins, reported on Monday that Long Kruger called a 2 o'clock meeting to talk about if, if any, basically find out if anybody else was planning on leaving and trying to clear the air after what was a ultimately disappointing season in Norman. So now that that means just off the top of my head, I think this is it. Uh, obviously, Kadeem Latin was going to be gone. He was the lone senior on the team. So Latin's gone. Trey Young declared for the NBA draft, which we touched on last week during last week's show. And now Jordan Shepard, the backup point guard, is going to transfer. And Cam Augusti, who you would think in theory for next season would potentially be Oklahoma's best player, is transferring as well. With all of these transfers, that leaves – I did this math the other day during the during the week. I, I don't want to get this guy's name wrong. That's so bad. There's one point guard on Oklahoma's roster, and he's a walk-on. He was a walk-on true freshman this past year, Chris Giles. And incoming, they have a shooting guard listed as a shooting guard that's incoming that was uh, he signed a letter of intent Jamal Bienemy as a uh, according to 24/7 Sports is a three-star prospect. So as of now Oklahoma is going to look incredibly different next year on the basketball court and it's incredibly easy to say well this team's not going to be good and it may be true because all that matters a lot in basketball is just what kind of talent do you have? And the fact that Oklahoma doesn't have a point guard right now really that has any experience is somewhat concerning so uh what's going on with Oklahoma basketball Grant is this just uh totally out of left field for you no not at all I think there had been some there had been some rumblings over the last I don't know the last couple months especially when the season looked like it was kind of heading down the trash that there might be some defections at the end of the season uh Cam Augusti I think is the one that everyone sort of theorized for a long time because you know he didn't he didn't start the first half of the season uh Trey Young really cut into his minutes um so that i mean we it, it is very hard to forget that cam Augusti was the best player on the team last year um as a true freshman uh, he was the leading scorer on the team so i mean that obviously hurts uh jordan shepherd i i don't i don't think it's that that obviously hurts from a depth per- perspective he's um you, you and i disagree on this he's not a big 12 player um so it, in, in terms of being effective on the court that's not a particularly huge loss um, but obviously from a depth perspective, it's, it's, it's huge. They don't, like you said, they don't have any point guards in the roster. You got to assume they're going to be hitting that grad transfer market really hard. And also the Juco ranks really hard as well. Well, uh, 
you have to like you're not that surprised. I mean, sure, if it's based on Trey Young, you'd think they'd have transferred last year, though. I mean, Young declares, and then all of a sudden Shepard, who in theory would he'll be starting next year for OU, he's yeah, like, nope, I'm out of here. Which and then means Cam Augusti some... would would go back to being a, a main guy, and he's like, nope, I'm gonna, I'd rather go somewhere else. No, nope, that means there was probably feelings hurt, and that means there was obviously some more issues brought up by it. Yeah, um, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, it's gonna be really interesting to see because you know all this info is gonna come out eventually. Um, you know who, who who's it going to be? Who 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 is finally you know able to write the tell all? Who knows? Um, <laughs> the tell all, yeah, or, or whatever. Or if it'll just be some some article or something on Twitter or something. But I there obviously there was some locker room strife with this team, especially in the second half of the year. So and I, I I've I've heard you know we shouldn't be surprised if there's if there's more defections coming. So Lee, do you want to let's play a little bit of a speculation game right now? Let's just say, and I know this is this is slightly irresponsible, but it's fun. It's a podcast. Who cares? Let's just let's just assume there's going to be one more transfer. If you gun to your head, if you had to pick and had to get it right, who do you think it would be? If you know there's going to be one more transfer, who do you think? I think if there was going to be one more transfer, it would have came out by now, considering if this meeting happened where they were like, where Coach Kruger wanted to know who else was leaving, and we haven't heard any news yet. I would assume that that whoever that person was should have, would have been like, hey, I'm out of here now. Um, but uh, to play your game, I, if I had to, if I had to guess, uh, any other transfer? Just looking at the roster right now, I don't know. Maybe Christian Doolittle. I don't know. Like, but he missed part of last year with because of grades, and he came back. And I mean, he has a he has tons of playing time in theory next year. So I don't know why he would leave. I'm, I'm looking at guys that are more like underclassmen. Like, it's hard for me to imagine like an upperclassman transferring. Uh, did you have somebody in mind? Yeah, and, and I, there's I, I don't have any inside info on this. This is me actually just calling my shot, like I did so much last week. But I'm going to do it again. If if it happens again, I think that it, I think it's going to be after the spring, and I think it's going to be Christian James as a grad transfer, would be my guess. But he's so he so you're saying that he's going to graduate soon? Yeah, that would be my guess. And I honestly, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't know if he's if he's set to graduate or anything like that. Um, but I'm just saying that you, you said that you think it would be soon. And my thought has always been if, if a third person did transfer, it would be Christian James. And I would assume that wouldn't happen until the summer until he can graduate and then play immediately next year. You know what? If that's a heck of a shot to call, cause that means that he would have graduated from OU in three years. And I don't know. I mean, maybe he's incredibly bright and he took tons of classes and he's good on for him, but he's, man, he, that he, would be, he's on campus every summer. The basketball players are there every summer to work out. I'm sure he's taking classes. The football players take classes during the summer, too. Boy, I mean, graduating college in three years would be incredible. Because, yeah, I mean, he just finished up his third year at OU. So, I mean, he's going to be a senior next year. And it, he didn't redshirt, so. I'm just saying, that's that's just that's just me calling my shot. Other than that, I, I don't know. I mean, you got guys. We have to hold you to these shots. Yeah, the other the other one would be maybe would maybe be someone like Matt Freeman. Or something like that, maybe, and I don't even know if that would even be a transfer on his part. On his part, it'd probably be more of like a process, a processing them maybe saying, uh, maybe take a look somewhere else type deal. I don't know if Long Kruger would ever do anything like that, um, but yeah, that's the same. Matt Freeman is not a is not a Division One basketball player. Um, we we haven't seen a lot of Hannes Poya, but I I doubt that he's a Division One basketball player. So you know, we'll see. I I, I think I think. Just kind of the story, I guess, of this season is is maybe some recruiting misses 
uh, along the uh, and also they just they really haven't recruited well in, uh, in the low post. Uh, Jamani McNeese is going to be the best player on the team next year. That's really all you need to know. Man, you're just you're calling a lot of shots, having a lot of hot takes today. I can't even keep up with it. Especially you're going to just play the speculation game. It's it's, <laughs> it's the freaking off season. Like what what do we, what else what are we going to do? It's like this is what you do during the off season. You make predictions. Like I'm not you know, I'm not a wizard. I can't tell the future. I mean, I'm probably going to get some of these right and I'm going to get some of them wrong. That's just kind of how it works. You know, I it's the off season. It's spring. We don't freaking play another football game for another five and a half months. Like, you know, mm-hmm. choke me with a spoon. But like, <laughs> at least we got, I mean, we got the final four coming up and at least we got the masters and in a little over a week. And then I won't care about that. If, if Tiger has like a terrible first day, uh, that'll, I'll, I'll check out of that quicker than I, I don't know. I can't really come up with a good pun, but you know what I mean. Major League Baseball starts on Thursday, so uh, that's coming up as well. And so, yeah, I mean, I we're we're not going to talk about baseball on the podcast. No, so we won't. We won't. All right, yeah, I don't have anything else really to add with OU basketball. Any other topics that you just wanted to get off your chest before we wrap up today's podcast? I, I just got to tell you, I, I I read a lot about the three four today, and I just I'm. <laughs> I'm going to submit a bill to Congress, man. College football needs to be year-round. I'm just saying, it's it's just such a wonderful sport, and I'm. It's just it, it it's too bad that it has to have the longest off season of literally all of the off seasons. That's just, it's uh it's it, it's a shame, really. I don't know. Does it count? Does the Olympics technically have the longest off season, or like so? Like does, no, no, that like, doesn't count. So does like swimming technically have the longest off season? Or or should we just go with the yearly sports? Which in that case it it is it is certainly college football, which has the longest off season. Yeah, I mean it's just uh, it's any sport that yeah because college football yeah it starts in the first semester but then it ends relatively right away in the second semester. Whereas other sports like I know college swimming it be they have a fall season and they also have stuff in the spring as well. Same for, with tennis and golf. Tennis golf yeah so. And sometimes these go deep into spring and sometimes they're only a little bit in the fall, but at least it takes up more of the calendar year for those sports. Uh, college football, though. Nope. It's uh, I mean, college baseball's got a pretty long offseason grant. If people are into that, that only is literally from February to June. And that's it. It's it lasts four ish months. It's exi- like, but, which, uh, yeah, it's precisely you know. how long the college football season lasts. And the and, yeah. and and the college baseball season never seems like it has a long off season because you still have all of Major League Baseball to follow for four months after that, and also the college baseball season starts in February, which is just kind of a weird time to start. So it always feels like you're getting it early, you know. So so psych- and also college baseball is not particularly big at all. It's, it's an incredibly niche sport. You're so. right. It's also it's also kind of unwatchable for the casual viewer. So <laughs> I. <laughs> I don't mean to offend any Tell me base- that you haven't uh, checked out any OU baseball games to watch Kyler Murray this year? No, I haven't. And I don't I don't no. I don't I don't mean to offend any OU baseball fans. I've played and coached baseball my entire life. I'm just I'm I've I, I'm just a little baseballed out, that's all. Been been around that game for, for a really long time. All right, we got to the point where I think we're just rambling at this point. Let's wrap it up. That does it for today's show. We'll be back next week with more Oklahoma football spring talk. Plus, it'll be a new month, so a new number for our show intros. Of course, that would be the number four. So tune in next week to hear which Sooner is featured first. Until then, for Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.